This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. My name is Tyler. I'm the pastor of uh, worship here at Community Covenant Church. We have an expression that we use in the Evangelical Covenant Church, which we're a part of, and that is that we're better together. And sometimes around here, you'll hear the, the word partnership. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I hear that word, when I hear that somebody wants to build a, they want to build a partnership, that I'm, I'm concerned sometimes, I, that my skeptical side, that there, there's some manipulation that's happening there or something like that. But we use that term partnership with our missionaries that we support. And because we really want not just to give money, but we want to give our heart and soul to support and help them what they're doing around the world. There's a couple things that have happened just recently that um, we want to spend just a moment in prayer about. Many of you know who the Restrepos are, Lissandro and Patty. They've been down in Mexico for a number of years. They served in Monterrey. And now they are down in Oaxaca, and we had a team um, scheduled to head down to Oaxaca. And it's just starting to hit our news, but there's been some political rest in the state of Oaxaca. And uh, the, the city of Oaxaca has over a quarter of a million people that live there. And because of the political unrest, which has been a struggle between uh, one of the local teachers' unions and uh, some of the population, with, along with the federal government. They've, it's, it's escalated to a point now, because they've blocked off the roads and whatnot, that they're having to, to, to fly in grain to the city of, uh, like I said, over a quarter of a million people. So there's, there's political unrest that's happening right now, and as, because of that, the team that was going to Oaxaca... Um, we're postponing our trip, and we're, we've already been in discussion with them about rescheduling that. But we want to pray. We want to partner with Patty and Lissandro, okay? And also, if you were here uh, a couple years ago when uh, Pastor John and uh, Beth, can you, or, or Larry, can when, I help me with their last name? Can I say Pastor John? <laughs> Simon? Yeah. Okay. And were both of them, both this happened to both of them, or just Pastor John? Just Pastor John, okay. Um, Pastor John, who was here a couple of years ago, along with Pastor Simon, but anyway, um, they were on a bus near the Somalia border in Kenya, and uh, somebody came on board and shot like five or six people, including Pastor John. And it's uh, Pastor John is uh, one of the couples, or excuse me, one of the pastors that Larry and Beth Smith have been working with and had been planning on working with. So we want to partner with them in the sense of uh, carrying their grief with them. And also, I want to make clear this morning, if you don't know, that there's an opportunity to support Beth and Larry and partner with them along with the mission that they're a part of um, through their raising of support, and you can find information out on our Welcome Center about that. But then also, right after the service today, back at the cross, we want to pray with, with Beth and Larry, and so that opportunity. But uh, out of a sense of our desire to partner with our missionaries and people who are carrying the gospel around the world, can we take just a couple minutes and pray? 
And what I want to invite you to do is, can you pick one or both of those and just pray silently for a moment? And let's lift these people up. Patty Lissandro, if you know Niels and Erica Kloss, uh, I think it's Clausen that's down in, Mont- or down in Oaxaca now too. You've, some of you may have met them when you went to Monterrey. And then uh, Pastor John with his colleagues and his family and the churches that he's involved in. Let's just lift those up in prayer for just a moment. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we pray for Patty and Lissandro and Samuel, their son. We pray for Niels and Erica, as well as the rest of their colleagues down there in Oaxaca. We pray your encouragement. Pray that your grace would be with them. Lord, give them great wisdom and great um, hope to be able to encourage the people that they're working with, pastors in the area, as well as people who are involved in discipleship and leadership development. God, give them great wisdom and uh, give them uh, endurance. And uh, Lord, our hearts go out to them and we lift them up to you this morning. And uh, Lord, we pray over this tragedy uh, in Kenya and um, for the loss of life of Pastor John, as well as some other folks that were on that bus. Lord, we lift up their families We lift up their loved ones. We lift up the churches that are impacted. God, we pray for a special measure of your grace. Help them to grieve well. Help them in the midst of this to hope. Lord, help them to see your faithfulness and your goodness in the face of terrible tragedy. We pray for their strength. We pray for their endurance. Lord, this morning we lift up um, Beth and Larry, too. We thank you for their heart, for that, that country, their willingness to serve. We pray, Lord, that their uh, support that they're continuing to raise would come together. Lord, we pray that you would give them wisdom as they uh, try to serve and encourage the people that they're working with over them. God, you're, you're the God of the impossible. You meet us where we're at. Give us the grace that we need in the moment. And so we look to you, the source of life. And our hearts go out. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've got a Bible, uh, you can open up to John chapter 4 this morning. We are in a series called The Rest of the Story, and it's my opportunity and privilege to talk about the Samaritan woman, or as she's sometimes known as the woman at the well, and I'm, I'm going to make reference to some other things in John. 
But I just want to start off with a statement, and it's a statement that I need to hear because uh, when I experience life, as I've already prayed about and talked about and I've thought about it this week, there's so many distractions. And things get bigger in my life because they capture my heart, they capture my attention. And I want to just begin by saying this morning that Jesus is way bigger than you and I can possibly imagine. I mean, his power, his glory, his forgiveness is way beyond what you and I have experienced. In fact, Pastor Todd, if I could use you, I have a lot of respect for you, but I want to tell you something. Jesus is bigger than you think. He's way bigger. And John, who spent time with Jesus, as you can imagine, as you read through the story, Jesus kept reminding his disciples, he goes, when after I've gone, they don't even understand what he was talking about. Sometimes he says, look, after I have gone, the Holy Spirit's going to come and it's going to remind you the things that I've said and I've done. And as we approach John's gospel this morning, some time has passed. The, the Holy Spirit came on the day, day of Pentecost and it opened up a whole new spiritual realm to the disciples. The gospel begins to grow. And I believe even then the disciples are like, oh my goodness, we had no idea what a big deal Jesus was and the significance of the words that he spoke to us. So John and, and John was, uh, of the many disciples, he lived a, a fairly long life. And so later in ministry, now he's ministering with people who never personally met Jesus. And their people in that first century, it's real easy to think that their life was completely different. And it's true that their culture was different, but they're very similar to us. They get distractions. They have hopes. They have dreams that are not unlike ours. A desire to have significance. A desire to have belonging. A desire to understand how in life do I be quote-unquote successful? How do I make it? What does it mean, right? And in that context, John is like waving his hands. I love how he says it. In the beginning of 1 John, he says, Look, we saw him. We touched him. We heard him. In Jesus, he is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. And if we... If we just look to Jesus, if we place our life and our faith in Jesus, then we, we have right standing with God. And he sees so clearly that distinction that we need to be connected to the life of Jesus Christ. And somewhere in that process, he writes the Gospel of John. And before we dive into a little bit of this passage, I just want to remind you of a couple of verses that probably many of you uh, have seen before. But this is right close to the very end of John's gospel, and he, he makes it clear why he even wrote his gospel. You see, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you, the reader, you and I, may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life. That you may have life in his name. Don't, what we all kind of want is life. I want life. And so John is trying to remind us because we get distracted even by religion, right? Even by our being respectful or whatever. John's always trying to remember, look, if you look to Jesus, he's the author. He's the perfecter. He's the source of life for us. 
So he reminds his readers why he wrote it to begin with. And then early on in John, you might remember, John is the gospel that starts off, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And he's connecting it all the way back to creation, and he's making these amazing theological statements. But he goes on to describe Jesus, says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. The life of Jesus is a life that's indestructible, a life that's irrepressible because it emanates from the who God is himself. That's the life that Jesus is offering to us. And I love this. It, it makes it clear here, and this is going to be unfolded in our story a little bit, but it's not, it's not because we believe, or excuse me, it's not because we decided or because somebody orchestrated something for us but this comes because God's willing to give it to us. It's not by somebody's decision like a, like a husband or not because of natural descent, where we were born, when we were born or something. It's just something that God wants to give us. He wants to give us life. So that's, that's a good backdrop to our story. Now, if we're just reading through, uh, let's say we're just reading through John's Gospel. And if you're not familiar with it, I'm going to try to give you just a real basic, but you can go back and read it yourself. But in chapter 3, there's a character called Nicodemus. You remember this? So Nicodemus, he is described in there as the teacher of Israel. And maybe he wasn't, that doesn't mean like he was the only teacher, but he was looked up to. In Jewish culture, he had political, social, and religious standing because uh, they had uh, what they thought was a theocracy. In other words, uh, the rule and reign of God comes through the relig religion, not just the political, even though they were under Rome. See, but in Jewish culture and society, he was the teacher, right? And he came to Jesus with some, some questions. And essentially what happens is they have a little bit of a, a theological discussion. And uh, Nicodemus kind of ends up leaving empty-handed. Well, just if we're reading through, we're, we're kind of surprised by that. I mean, here's a guy, he's respectable. Here's a guy who's been teaching Israel. Here's a guy that we would expect as he comes to Jesus... That Jesus can go, okay, you, you've got, you know your Old Testament. You know how to do things. And so, you know, we're going to have... But, but Jesus uh, totally surprises him by, by putting some theology out there that didn't quite fit in Nicodemus's scope of things. So, I don't know if you've noticed that before, but a lot of you are already familiar with the story of the woman at the well, or the Samaritan woman as she's known. But it's juxtaposed to that. So we're, let's say we're a first century reader. We're very we're either Jewish or maybe we're really uh, familiar with Jewish. And so we read. We're a little bit surprised. Wow, Jesus, 
turn Nicodemus away. And then we start reading, and I'm going to read a little bit of this. So if you have your Bibles open, I'm going to start in about verse 4 of chapter 4 of John. And now we're just reading through, we're reading the story about Jesus that John is relating to us. And it says, now he had gone through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria. And he's talking about Jesus' disciples. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman, oh, this is interesting, a Samaritan woman, right on the heels of Nicodemus. Now, this is going to be interesting, because uh, if Nicodemus had problems, this, this Samaritan woman, this is interesting. Now, I'm sure you've heard maybe some or all of this before, but just, just at the get-go, the Samaritans, there was a lot of enmity between the Samaritans and the Jews, so in Jewish history, and you read about it in the Old Testament, that the kingdom was divided, and the northern kingdom was conquered by Assyria. And as part of that, all these different uh, foreigners came in, and there was intermarrying that happened. And the whole Jewish religion was, was corrupted. And there's idolatry that happened. And there was interbreeding. So now we don't have you know, people who are pure... Uh, Jews anymore. They're a mixed breed. As time goes on, that becomes known as Samaria. And there's this long-standing enmity. And you can see it. Uh, we'll see even our text here. Because this woman, when she responds, uh, she says in verse 9, she says, uh, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a, a drink? You see, as they begin to talk, She's shocked by that. Another clue is uh, later in, in verse uh, 17, just then, so they're having a discussion, just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? The, the assumption is there is that the normal thing would have been to show up and go, oh my goodness, what's going on? Why are you talking to this, obviously a Samaritan woman, Right? Other signs, I mean, get, get you to, to sense the enmity between the Samaritans and the Jews. In Luke's gospel, I think it's about chapter 9. I'm not positive on that. But there's a time when, when Jesus and his disciples are headed for Jerusalem, right? And they want to stop on a, in a Samaritan town on the way. The Samaritans won't let them stay there because they're going to Jerusalem. And you'll see from our story because the Samaritans differ on where worship needs to happen. They had given up on, on Jerusalem. They had given up on uh, the prophets of the Old Testament as well as the Psalms and stuff like that. For them, the, the biblical text was Genesis through De Deuteronomy. And uh, I believe it was Abraham that worshipped where they worshipped, you see. So because Jesus and his disciples were wanting to head to Jerusalem and they weren't going to their place of worship... Uh, they said, well, you can't, you can't stay in our town then. So James and John, you know what they did? It's kind of a peculiar story. They said, hey, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire and brimstone on them? I mean, just, it, you know, there was not love relationship between the Samaritans and the Jews. So, so that's number one. It was social, political, and religious. But also she was a woman. 
And Jesus was a man, a single man. And so that made it taboo for them to begin a conversation. And not only that, but there's indications in the text. Some of you are aware that, that this is a woman of moral questionability. All right? We're, you know, just the fact that she showed up, and the text tells us that she showed up around noon. It's the heat of the day. She's by herself. See, and the tradition was, you know, if you're, if, you're, if you're having to make that arduous journey to go collect water, you're going to do it in the cool of the day, and you're going to make it as fun as possible because it's not a fun chore, so you're going to bring your friends to go with you. And so it's just a little bit suspect that she shows up at noon by herself, and Jesus, because of his insight, is able to reveal later more of her story and we get a better picture because she's a woman who's been married five times but she's not even living with the person that the last person she married she's living with somebody else so it's the sixth person which in our culture living with somebody no big deal even in Samaritan culture it was a big deal you don't live with people if you're not married with them and so what we can gather what we can guess reading between the lines is here's a woman who comes to the well in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, the most inconvenient time, to avoid the public scorn, to avoid the, the awkwardness, to avoid the shunning that happens, right? So, so for all these reasons, this is one of the first things, as a reader coming through this text, we're shocked. I want you to get the emotional impact for someone's like, huh, Jesus is striking up a conversation with this woman. That's fascinating, especially after what happened with Nicodemus, right? Well, let's read a little further on this. Verse 7, When a Samaritan woman came down to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now here's the next big shocker. This is really interesting. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Well, Wait a second. Jesus gave Nicodemus a bad time, and the first thing he says to this woman is, I'd like to give you a gift. I'd like to give you a gift. If you ask me, I'll give you a gift. So we're a little bit surprised by that, especially if we have some idea, maybe even a a pretty good theological understanding that this is the Son of God. This is the one through whom created the universe. And it comes to this person. Samaritan woman, we have a hard time getting over that. But somebody who's had five husbands is living with somebody else. And Jesus' first words to this person is, Hey, I have something I'd like to give you. Do you want it? So she responds, Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, 
as also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring welling up to eternal life. Wow, Jesus is heaping it on. He's describing the gift even more. Hey, do you want some? We're a little maybe surprised by this kind of encounter that Jesus has with him. It's shocking. If we're maybe a New Testament, it's like, huh. Seems like Jesus is turning things upside down. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever imagined having a face-to-face encounter with the person of Jesus Christ? Have you ever imagined what that would look like or what that might feel like? You know, if, if we're a Nicodemus type, and by that I mean that we're respectable, we have our lives in order, uh, you know, we're, we're seen as a righteous person, coming face-to-face with Jesus can kind of peel back a few layers and we suddenly kind of feel like the woman at the well. You know what I'm talking about? So, and Jesus doesn't do this. He doesn't go. (sighs) He says, are you thirsty? Can I give you something to drink? Just ask me. Ask me. I'd I'd like to give you life. This imagery of living water, this is a dry and arid area. The only water that, that's in this well has been gathered maybe from a spring, but it's, it's stagnant. It's sit there. Everybody, know, everybody around knows where there's water. Nobody knows about this living water, which is like a, a water that continues to flow. Living water was one of the ways that Jewish culture referred to water that flows. It's like alive and active. It's, it's refreshing. It's being refreshed. It's not stagnant, and it keeps flowing, this loving water that bubbles up. So two shockers. First, that Jesus is speaking to this woman. The second one, added on top of it, that what he has to say is, hey, would you like, would you like a gift? Because I'd like to give you a gift. Just ask me. Just ask me because I want to give a gift. So there's two questions that arise as we, as we read this. One question is, will she ask? And by extension, will we ask? But will she ask? And secondly, will she recognize who the giver of the gift really is? Will she recognize the giver of the gift? As we read through this passage, it's really cool. If you have your Bible, uh, look at beginning in verse 9. It says, The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a... So she, that's her starting point. Look, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. I'm, I don't quite get what's going on here. This is kind of odd. Because I, I wouldn't expect that you would talk to me, right? Then in verse 11, uh, Jesus makes his first, you know, invitation. And she says, You have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where can you get this living? Are you greater than our father Jacob? I mean... Jacob is revered. He's part of the Pentateuch. He was the one. 
through whom God blessed these people with this well? I mean, it's been, are, you, are you greater than him? Do you have some kind of source of water that's greater than what Jacob provided for us? And so, you know, what is, what's her understanding? Down in verse uh, 18, excuse me, 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. As the interchange goes on. And she comes to that realization because she does ask. She goes, yeah, I want some of this water. We'll talk about it a little bit more in a second. But when she asks, she doesn't fully comprehend. But, but Jesus is drawing in, hey, would you like some water? Some of the living water? And she's like, that sounds good. That's indoor plumbing, right? Right? We've all got that. We're good. Forget it. Indoor plumbing. No. No, there's a spiritual thing that he's, he's trying to draw out. But she asks. And because she asks, Jesus moves on. He moves on to the next point where he's going to reveal himself a little bit more. And he goes, well, you, know, you need to go get your husband. She goes, well, I don't have a husband. He goes, you're right. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. So that's when she goes, wow, he, he has some insight, spiritual. She's, she has an opportunity now to step closer to that or step away and say, I'm out of here. But she says, verse 19, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And so she's willing now to get into religious and spiritual talk, whether it's a diversion tactic or whatever, but she's engaged in the conversation. She's staying in the light, if you will. Then we move on a little bit farther as Jesus talks. And Jesus talks about the spiritual reality of worship that that is coming through him, that he's granting this living water, which is an early reference to the Holy Spirit. If you look at chapter 7, he makes that connection even a little bit uh, better. But anyway, in 25, the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will, he will explain this, this stuff, this spiritual stuff. And Jesus makes now his big proclamation. He says, I, the one speaking to you, am he. I am he, it says in the uh, NIV. You guys uh, familiar with, in, in John 8, Jesus is having a, a theological discussions with Pharisees. And they're getting upset with him. And that's where he says, before Abraham was, I am. He makes the statement of deity. In the Greek, it's the same thing. The phrase is called ego eimi. And it reads something like this in the Greek. It reads, uh, you know, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus says, I am. The one you're speaking of, I am. That's what he says. And then down in verse 28, we see the next stage of her belief. She says she just leaves her water jar, the woman back to town, and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Two questions. Will she take a drink? Yeah, she wants the drink. Does she understand who the giver of the gift is? And see that he's bigger than she maybe first thought. And you see her walking through that and taking steps. The contrast between the Samaritan woman and Nicodemus is one that, as a, as a person who um, I've grown up going to church, 
I've been to theology school. And, you know, I live in a Western culture that has um, more wealth and comfort than any time in history. And all those things, when we come and Jesus says, do you want to drink? All those things, the way that I've worked things out theologically, the way that I've ordered my life, the more settled I am in that, the more risk. I'm like, well, wait a second. If I, if I take a drink, what is that going to change? What is that going to change in me? Now, truthfully, I believe that just at the 30,000-foot level, when we look at this, Jesus is revealing how it is we become children of God, believing in the Messiah, the one who's the Savior of the world. But at a practical day-to-day level, I have to ask myself, do I want a drink? Am I willing to ask? And there's a, there's a thread that runs through these uh, passages that's really fascinating because when you read the story of Jesus and Nicodemus, right away, Jesus jumps into this, hey, uh, if, any, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you have to experience rebirth. And there's this spiritual, the life that Jesus is offering in coming into his kingdom, it's, it's not this world. It's a spiritual dimension, a whole spiritual dimension that ends up impacting everything in my life. And so you see that there. Is Jesus trying to draw him in to a spiritual kingdom where the Holy Spirit indwells my life and gives me a new experience. And then we, we come to the woman at the well, and Jesus begins to talk about living water. And she misses it at first, too. She says, yeah, I want some water. This is indoor plumbing, right? You see? And Jesus is trying to draw. And, and then when she runs off, if you, read, if you read this text right here, what happens is the disciples show up, and first off, they're really surprised that Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman. If they caught part of the gift, they're like, oh my goodness, you know. But now they're concerned with practical things. And by the way, I'm very practically minded. But they say, hey, you know what, Jesus? You are tired. You need to eat. You know what he says? My food is to do the will of the Father who sent me. So once again, person after person, he's trying to draw them in. Hey, there's a spiritual reality, a kingdom that's coming. It comes through me, through the gift that I give. And so this woman runs into the, she runs into the town and she invites people. And scholars suggest that it's Jesus. As you read the text, he says, look. You know, they, we have this thing in the natural world where we think, you know, well, farming doesn't, you know, the, the harvest doesn't happen until fall. We've got, he goes, look, we're in a spiritual reality now. Look, the harvests are plentiful. It's ready to be picked. As you see people from the Samaritan village coming out. Why this is important, because I've been thinking about my own life, and so often I want God to give me something. But I think sometimes I can confuse that what I want him to do is bless my life the way I see it should work and fit together. And what Jesus is saying to me sometimes is, no, you need to let go of that life and let me give you the life that I want to give you. It's a, it, it has a spiritual dimension that you're missing. It has a spiritual dimension that you're 
Let me ask you a question. Do you want a drink of living water? Jesus, Jesus wants to give it to us. He invites us to ask for it. In this series, the rest of the stories is such a beautiful thing because the woman that started off, and if we're reading between the lines and we see, now this looks like a woman who is uh, at the bottom of the bottom, right? She's a Samaritan. She's a woman. She has this history that just speaks of scandal, speaks of brokenness, speaks of scorn, speaks of shame. And so it would appear that she doesn't want to even be with other people. She comes to the well by herself, but she meets Jesus. And it's interesting to me that when she drops the jar and runs into the town, now the very thing that was shaming, right, that brings to the well by herself is the way that she goes, he told me everything I did. There's no shame there now in that. He told me the things that you guys know. And even more, maybe. He knows me. And yet he's inviting me. Could this be the Messiah? So the, one, the, the story starts with this woman. And look, it says in verse 39, Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I had did. So when the Samaritans came to meet him, they urged him to stay with them. And they stayed, he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Do you want to drink water? I'm just amazed in my own... I'm a, I'm a worship pastor. I'm amazed how my life can get into patterns and things that are about doing things, even religious things, good things, but are not expressions of my connection with Jesus Christ. So like spiritual disciplines, for example, apart from Christ, they're dead. A spiritual discipline, what it helps me to do is place me at Jesus' feet. So I can get a drink of water. So he can fill me with his spirit. This morning I'd like to close with the, the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, in a sense, is asking God, fill us with your spirit. It's like our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom, God. Lord, we ask for your kingdom to come. For your spiritual reality to permeate our lives. We ask you to meet our needs the way that you, it works in your kingdom. We ask you that we could be agents of your kingdom by forgiving others, by being forgiven. The Lord's Prayer, in a sense, is a way of saying, Lord Jesus, we ask that your way would come and reign in our hearts and in our lives. So I invite you, can we pray this together? And I'll close with this, and uh, Pastor Todd's going to come lead us in communion. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.